developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lynn and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is my dear friend and collaborator for more than 30 years, Patricia Lemmer, known affectionately as Patty. Patty is truly an amazing person as you'll quickly see her power, passion, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today we're going to talk about developmental delays, including autism, PDD, ADHD, LD, OCD, NLD, and others as a spectrum of disorders. Patty's been a a pioneer in these areas. And together, she and I have had so much fun exploring, teaching, writing, and collaborating for many years. But first, a little bit about Patty. She's a licensed professional counselor and has practiced as an educational diagnostician for over 40 years. In 1993, she co-founded the Developmental Delay Resource, DDR, an international 501c3 organization, and served as its executive director for 20 years. In 2013, DDR emerged with Epidemic Answers, which she then chaired until 2017. She holds a Master's of Education in Counseling and Learning Disabilities, and a master's in business from John Hopkins University. Patty lectures widely widely on um, developmental delays and all other spectrum disorders. She's passionate about not just the diagnosis and all these letters, PDD, ADHD, LD, but she really is looking at helping parents determine the cause and she's known for her total load theory of autism, which we'll be speaking about later. She's also very interested in the role of vision in all disabilities, which is how she and I connected years ago. Patty is published with dozens of articles in professional journals and parent magazines. Her third book, I call it The Bible of Autism, is called Outsmarting Autism, build healthy foundations of communication, socialization, and behavior at all ages. She includes amazing guides and treatments. And especially when you're dealing with kiddos with all special needs like this, she's looking not only at the traditional Western treatments, but a lot of alternative and, and new treatments as well. She has her own podcast called The Autism Detective, which is great. You can find it on Spotify and Anchor. And uh, we'll go through her website and all her connections later in the podcast. Patty lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She's 
the uh, mother of an adult daughter and a beautiful granddaughter, Penelope. So I'm so excited, Patty, to have you on the show. You know, this is kind of culmination of all the years that we've worked together. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Oh, Lynn, thank you so much. I'm just honored to be on your show. And we have had so much fun. And I'm glad you included that in the introduction. <clears throat> yeah, we could spend this whole showtime talking about all the silly things that happened yep. in, in the times <laughs> we were together lecturing to OTs and PTs and doctors and parents and with other, we, we were with other optometrists and, and professionals. And really, I, I call us pioneers in this collaboration. Absolutely. And it, and it included an earthquake. It included an earthquake. <laughs> it will stop that story right now for a while. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> That's great. So Patty, let our listeners know, how did you get into the field of autism and related disorders? Well, I started out as a counselor and I immediately was attracted to root causes, to looking for root causes. I grew up with a grandmother who was, quote, mentally ill, who eventually ended her own life, but not until her 80s. And as a teen and a young adult, I was appalled at how she was treated, that she was lobotomized and shock treatment and hospitalized and medicated. And I always wanted to know what they were doing and why they were doing it. And when I went to college, I read a book called The Myth of Mental Illness by Thomas Zaz. If your listeners are interested, that is spelled S-Z-A-S-Z. -S -Z. And Thomas Zaz said that mental illness is not a thing, that the mind and the body are connected. And that was the beginning of my looking for causes. And so when I got my master's in counseling, <clears throat> I knew I wanted to figure out how to help people, but not in the traditional sense. And I, my first entrance into the quote, alternative world was through occupational therapy. And I was having a hard time doing play therapy with kids who didn't wanna play with me in my first job. And she said, Patty, you need a trampoline and you need a ball pit and you need a swing. I'm having more fun than you are. Come to my office. And there in her studio were all these toys. So if I'd even known there was such a thing as OT, I would have been an OT instead of a counselor. But she became a wonderful resource for me. And OT eventually led to nutrition, and I was interested in what kids were eating and drinking and breathing. And then I got interested in vision in about the mid-80s. And I moved from working with, in the 60s, working with kids with genetic disorders, which was all that there was at that time, Down syndrome, um, kids who had um, difficulty with their cerebellum. And then kids who'd had accidents, kids who'd fallen out of trees or who had had strokes. And by the beginning of the 70s, we started talking about this thing called learning disabilities. And that I was lucky as I was my whole career to be in the right place at the right time. And that's in 72 and 73, I was in Washington, DC and they were writing the law 
that mandated special education for handicapped children. And my friend, the lawyer said to me, come, come to hearings with us. You can tell them what the schools need to do to help kids with learning problems. And so I was part of writing that law, which mandated what schools had to do to help kids who were blind and deaf and hearing had hearing impairments and physical disabilities, as well as kids who didn't look different, but who had real learning difficulties, such as what they called dyslexia. And so for the 70s, I worked in learning disabilities. Then in the 80s, it started, we started seeing kids who had, quote, attention problems, unquote. And we named and blamed this thing called attention deficit disorder. And that's when I learned about vision. And I said, well, how do you pay attention anyway? Well, first of all, you're attentive to and you focus on and give meaning to what you see. And then I met optometrists who said, yeah, that's what we work on. We need to know how to remediate problems in that area. So I wrote about attention deficit disorder being the emperor's new clothes and how it really isn't a thing that it is caused by nutritional deficits, vision deficits, hearing problems, difficulty um, integrating vision and hearing. And then at the late 80s, early 90s, we started hearing the word autism. And all of a sudden, we had kids with an autism and a PDD diagnosis. And so I saw one kid in my practice where I was doing diagnostic testing, and I became an instant expert in autism because nobody else had ever seen any of them. And so I applied what I had learned about learning disabilities and attention deficits to kids with autism. And I met people who said, no, autism is not psychological. Autism is not a behavioral problem. We know that those kids are having terrible diets. They have nutritional deficits. They have vision problems. They have auditory processing problems. And we know how to fix them. So I became a heretic in the field of autism, just like I had in the field of learning disabilities and attention deficits. You know, Patty, your background is so rich in experience. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the 80s when you introduced me the importance of, of nutrition, which actually saved my life when I had my own health problems in the early 2000s which ended up being a uh, very nutrition based. And if I wouldn't have had the experience wow. with you in the eight, you know, you're I giving me chills, Lynn. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it changed my life. And in fact, just a quick sidebar on that. When I had, I had colon surgery and became allergic to all foods. I found a nutritionist who referred me to the book on, uh, that you had talked about on the uh, specific carbohydrate diet and so here, 20 years later, I couldn't find my old book. I bought that book and on the front cover is a little kid who has been diagnosed with autism. And I thought, my gosh, 20 years later, it's wow. still a new idea. And fast forward to now in my consults, here we are, 2022, I'm still talking about nutrition, vision, right. auditory, all these things. And it's still a new console, uh, it is. a new co concept for parents, teachers, educators, 
So you were a woman way before the age of people knowing yeah, about but, this. But we have a small group and we're almost at the tipping point, Lynn. I really believe that people are listening and we're, we're close to this becoming mainstream. I remember when they said diet had nothing to do with cancer. And now you can even buy books on the cancer diet that are um, stamped by the American Cancer Society. So we're, we're moving. We're, we're, we're not stagnant here. I agree. And there's a lot of research and resources, but I still see in mainstream medicine, mainstream education, yeah. that yeah. it is not at all part of the routine checklist. You no. know, have you thought about foods and nutrition and and it drives me crazy, especially with the anxiety and the mental health issues. Oh, I know. That I'm seeing associated with so many of my patients that right. nobody discuss uh, or very few people discuss nutrition. But you're beginning to see some mindfulness kinds of strategies come in. But right. but uh, the work you've done, I, you know, I have to laugh when I, I finally got a diagnosis of um, a leaky gut syndrome. You know, and the doctor says, this is pretty new. And I go, this is 40 years old that I've known about <laughs> right. it when Kelly Dorfman introduced us to that. Right. And, right. and they now have tests that actually show that, you know, and I'm talking about my own personal health, but here they, they're saying, oh, you don't um, have celiac disease, but you were really gluten sensitive where it used right. to be. If you didn't have celiac, you didn't right. have anything. Right. And so things you've taught me and brought in your experts on, personally have shown up now 40 years later as really showing to be not only important, but a lot of the, the causes. And uh, I agree with what you said that I think we're at tipping point, but I don't think we're close to turning the system around and looking uh, functionally yet before we go through some traditional. Even, even the vitamin D testing, which is so, so important and is essential to health. Your vitamin D levels is not a part of a routine uh, medical checkup. It's not a part of the complete blood count. You have to ask your doctor to test your vitamin D levels. And that's even with their suspected vitamin D3. A lot of our uh, COVID uh, long patient, long-term patients are showing significant low levels of vitamin D3. I, I was yeah. going to say that. I'm glad you said that instead. But it's, it is what separates out people who get COVID and who have long-haul COVID. The one singular difference is the, the level of their vitamin D. So your listeners have got to have their vitamin D levels checked. And the the CDC says that 25 or 30 is okay. It isn't. You need 45 or 50 or more. And everybody, especially where I live in Pittsburgh, where we have no sun, needs to be supplementing their vitamin D. Yeah, that's so interesting. And so when we talk about you know, uh, adoption here, there's uh, getting to be more and more evidence and people know this yet mainstream recommendations. I don't hear, you know, you hear all of these measures from COVID, but what's missing is uh, prevention and, and some functional right. help, but let's get back, back to uh, okay. autism and uh, related disorders. 
Talk about the total load therapy. You've kind of talked about it without really saying the name. So explain what that is. So um, everybody says, well, what causes learning disabilities? Is it genetic? What causes ADHD? You know, my, my father had it. My mother had it. What causes autism? I have a cousin with autism. It must be genetic. And what we have found is the deeper we go into genetics and now we're able to sequence all of our genes is that it doesn't account for a very large proportion, probably at most 25% of what is going on. And so we know that people with autism have some commonalities in their genetics. But we also know that autism has increased markedly and there's no such thing as a genetic epidemic. So there has to be something environmental that flips on that switch and turns on those genes. And so the total load theory looks at what those individual environmental triggers are. And they could be food, they could be toxins in the air, they could be toxins in our water, they could be toxins in our food. And there there are so many toxins everywhere and it's getting that we, the list is so long that we have to, it's almost like a deck of cards with 52 cards. You never get the same hand when you play cards. When you look at someone with autism, if there are 52 factors, they're going to have a unique configuration of these genetic trig, these environmental triggers that make up their total load. And their total load is all those factors that an autism detective has to figure out that make up their um, susceptibility and what they were exposed to. And we have to peel those layers one at a time in the right sequence to be able to heal somebody with any one of these disabilities. And that for me is like doing a puzzle. It is so rewarding. It is so much fun. It is so just amazing to watch someone who is not talking, who is flapping, who has daily diarrhea followed by a week of constipation and we able to take away foods by cleaning up their environment, by turning off their Wi-Fi at night, by looking at what they're eating, drinking and breathing to see their behavioral learning changes and their social, emotional language changes, which is why the subtitle of my book is the way it is, that we're looking for the foundational problems that are affecting their communication, their socialization, and their behavior, and at all ages, it's never too late. Which is... uh... A great title. I'm glad you explained that. And and just again, that total load therapy theory is really the umbrella encompassing all the treatment areas that we're going to talk about after the break. Uh, and it is a total load. I mean, if you're healthy and nutritionally pretty good, I mean, we all have all these toxins in our society now. And the big question is, what's our load and and uh, are we able to deal with it? it? 
You, how, how do, do we, we reduce, reduce our exposures is one part. And then how do we detoxify everything that we've taken in is the second part. But you can't fill drain the bathtub if you're still got the water running. And so that's why we've got to reduce our exposures first and foremost and protect ourselves. Great. And just, you know, for uh, our audience to understand the field of epigenetics, again, you've already pretty much explained that, but do you right. want to just explain that word? Because that's a term that you're beginning to see in liter uh, literature more frequently. Right. And only in the last about 10 years, it's a new word. And epigenetics means how the environmental factors trigger the genetic propensity. So if you have a genetic mutation, it has to be turned on for it to express itself. It's like a lever. And it's a combination of genetic um, mutations, which we called SNPs, S-N-P-S, you may see that, those have to be turned on by something in order for them to express themselves into something like Down syndrome or, or um, cystic fibrosis. And it, we have to figure out what those triggers are so that we can eliminate them from our world. Right. And that, that's the big mystery. Um, let's just talk just for a minute and we'll continue after the break, but um, some of the visual signs and symptoms that you see with kids on the autism spectrum. Well, it's, it's the visual, it's the checklist of binocular dysfunction. It's the checklist of accommodation problems. It's the checklist of focusing problems. So you, the one hallmark of autism is poor eye contact. And it's always been thought that poor eye contact is a behavioral symptom. But kids who have poor eye contact are very, very frequently kids who have binocularity problems, who may see double, who have trouble focusing on something at a, a specific distance and that they realize that and their lack of eye contact is a actual compensatory technique so that they can listen or they can see an image in their mind's eye because if they're looking at you and your head is going around in circles or you have two heads, they can't think and they can't focus and they can't listen and they can't learn. And so their lack of eye contact is a very, very important number one symptom of th that there is a visual dysfunction and that they need a good vision exam. Another thing is a sideward glance or squinting or what we call stimming where kids flap their hands or wiggle their fingers in space to either try, maybe try to jumpstart an eye or to turn off an eye that isn't functioning efficiently with the other eye. Yes, and if I could add to that is part of the issue, all, all the things you said, part of- um, the need for a visual exam and the difficulty with using vision efficiently. Yes. And uh, we're going to take a break here. And after the break, we'll continue with the 
the vision uh, issues as well as uh, treatment options. So hang on and we'll be right back. Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. We're with Patricia Lemmer speaking about developmental delays, um, autism, and the whole spectrum of disorders. Patty has really been uh, a pioneer in this area, bringing in the total load theory of it is not like this one single issue. It's a combination of our general health, especially nutrition, vision processing, auditory processing, sensory processing, all of these issues together as being often the basic cause of what we call things like autism, learning disabilities, ADD, uh, and other types of labels like that. We were just starting to talk about the vision aspects that uh, we note in many of these kiddos on the spectrum. And she had mentioned poor eye contact and uh, sideward glances and all the binocular issues, the eye movement issues, which I totally concur with. And one of the biggest things that I find with many of these patients is they just can't integrate sensory systems well. So if they really want to listen to you, they can't look at you. If they want to look at you, they won't listen to you or sit still or move. And, right. and so this whole integrations of the sensory system uh, is really critical for these patients. So let's talk about um, treatment options because we know what happens with many of these kids. Many of these kids, depending on the severity, may get labeled. They even change the labeling system. So maybe they don't get labeled. Many of these kids are really brilliant, yet they don't fit into the traditional school regimen. So let's talk about if a parent has a kiddo they're concerned about. First, you know, all the evaluations they need, just summarize that. And then we'll talk about treatment options that many of our listeners may or may not be aware of. Okay, so um, Lynn, what I used to do was to look at those treatment options and say, okay, you've got to see my friend, the nutritionist and the occupational therapist and the optometrist. But I learned over the years that I had to even pull back and stop before I sent people to those experts, I had to talk to them about lifestyle issues. And what I mean by lifestyle is diet and sleep and daily activities. And if I didn't start there, I didn't always get a buy-in to the therapies. 
And most importantly, when I, where I was working in Washington, D.C., people had a lot of discretionary funds and they were busy. They were doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. And they thought that they could throw the money at the experts without doing anything themselves. And I know that's not who your listening audience is, but it's very, very important that parents look around their home and look at their lifestyle and say, what am I feeding my child? Yes, he's a picky eater and all he'll eat is macaroni and cheese and pizza and chicken nuggets and they have to be from McDonald's. And who is buying those? Who is buying into that? So this is where the parent has to take control. And even if your child is a picky eater that'll only eat a handful of foods, shame on you if you're buying goldfish crackers because goldfish crackers aren't food. And I know no matter how old the kid is, it's hard. But as the kids get older, especially into the teen years, trying to break their habits of, of macaroni and cheese and pizza is super, super difficult. But if you're bound and determined to help that kid heal, to help that kid talk, to help that kid not beat up on you and his siblings, this is an essential component to getting better. That's, a, so, that's a very important point. And I just wanted to add, and you just can't make that kid eat those special foods by themselves. Like you are you know, telling them they need uh, salads and, and healthy foods and no gluten. And then the rest of the family eat the junk foods. I mean, that's where we really run into a lot of trouble. You're right. So this is a family deal. The family has to eat as a, as a family. Somebody has to learn how to cook. And we have to make food a number one priority because it's like putting gasoline in your car. If you put in low test gas, you're going to get low test performance. And so we've got to look at what we're buying, the quality of what we're buying. And if you can afford organic, go for organic. If you can't, go on the... EWG website, the Environmental Working Group, and they'll tell you which foods are the clean 15 and which ones are the dirty dozen and which ones you have to buy organic and which ones are okay not to buy organic. And you have to look at when these foods go on sale and how you can get them in bulk and how you can feed your family within your budget and be healthy. The number two thing we look at is sleep. Almost all of our kids are sleep deprived and they have to have eight to nine hours of sleep depending on their age. Younger kids need more and none of our teenagers are getting that good sound sleep. The bedroom has to be a sleep sanctuary. It can't have computers in it. It can't have a smart TV in it. It can't have a cell phone under the pillow so the kid can text in the middle of the night. When we in a good sound sleep is when our body heals and our kids need sound sleep as well as a darkened, darkened room. And so we could go on for an hour about sleep and how to make a sleep sanctuary. But that's number two. Number three is movement. Our kids have to move. They are so sedentary. 
Their vision is focused on screens more and more. They have to get their vision out there as it, when we were hunters and gatherers. They have to connect with nature. They gotta get out of the city. They have to be on grass and with trees and communicate in nature. So those are where we start. And I know that's not where you were leading with your question, but we have to build that foundation at home before we can expect our kids to talk and relate and learn efficiently. And that's just huge, Patty. And that's where I think there is major breakdown because so many of the parents have their own issues in these same lifestyle areas. And so the commitment to change the screen time and the foods, um, that's where I think we have biggest loss and failure of uh, parents themselves being able to do that. And so thank you for bringing that up. And so many of our therapists say, well, I'm not an expert in nutrition. I've had many, you know, psychotherapists, occupational therapists, optometrists say to me, you know, that's not my field. I can't, I can't talk about what to eat for breakfast. You have to talk for about what did a child eat breakfast. A, a Pop-Tart isn't breakfast. We can't put that kind of fuel in the tank and let a child go to school on an on a empty tank that doesn't have the fuel to learn. So first and foremost, we talk about nutrition. And there are many tests you can run to look at what Lynn talked about earlier, food sensitivities. Maybe you don't have a strawberry allergy or a seafood allergy that sends you into anaphylaxis. But many of our kids have gluten problems and they have dairy problems and they have soy problems and they have egg problems. And they don't even know what a happy tummy feels like because their tummies and their brains are all messed up. And another word that's come into our vocabulary besides epigenetics is microbiome. We are now able to look at our guts and look at those bugs with whom we share our bodies. And we're only 10% human. We have so many pathogens and helpful bugs in our body that live with us and we have to live synergistically and your microbiome is as individual as your fingerprint and we can measure that we can look at that and what they're finding now in the research is that they can look at somebody's microbiome and say whether they have breast cancer or parkinson's or fibromyalgia by the fingerprint their microbiome shows. And best of all, we can manipulate that microbiome with food, with probiotics, with herbs. We can change that microbiome, that environment. And as we change it, we are getting changes in behavior. And one of the most exciting pieces of research is being done by Jim Adams uh, in Arizona. And I just interviewed him for the Autism Research Coalition. You can go on their Facebook page, Autism Research Coalition, and see what Jim Adams is doing with fecal microbiotic transplants. He is taking 
clean feces from healthy people and transplanting them into kids with autism and finding that they are talking and behaving and everything is changing as we change their microbiome without changing their therapies. Which is just amazing. And you know, my it is amazing. And it's not just autism. I know I, I listen to many podcasts and read books on functional medicine. And I don't care what the diagnosis is from, from cancer to um, GI problems to heart disease. Functional medicine starts in the gut. Yeah. And, you know, my heart doctor starts with my gut and you kind of go, yep. wait, this is about my heart. He goes, right. Let's look at your microbiome. And yep. so again, uh, let's let's address this question now. How does a parent find a doctor who will look in that direction? Because traditional medicine, at least in Colorado, I don't even have a good pediatric referral source I know. for my patients. And so how does somebody find a doc to help them move through this microbiome and nutritional issues? Well, as you said, the function, the doctors who are trained in functional medicine are your first choice. And there are also doctors who are naturopathic physicians. They are MDs, N like Nancy D, instead of MDs, M like Mary. So many of our MDs have taken the functional medicine courses, but also we can look for NDs and um we can look for health coaches who are trained in functional medicine near where we live who can find us a doctor. But less and less, we are actually needing a licensed doctor as much as a health coach. And if you go on the Epidemic Answers website, which is epidemicanswers.org, you can find a list of these doctors. You can put in where you live and you can find health coaches because Epidemic Answers has a health coach training course um, who that teaches them about working with, with kids with issues. And they also have a list, a vetted list of doctors who look for the microbiome. And if all else fails, you can e email me at develop delay, develop with no E on develop, just develop, develop delay at gmail.com. And I have a huge database, almost 5,000 um, people on my Facebook page and almost 20,000 people in my database who I can certainly find somebody within 50 miles for you. That is great. And we'll include those resources on the show notes on your podcast. So good. Uh, good. Thank you. That's important. And while we're at it, because we'll still go into some of the other evaluations, I know, you know, routinely kids with special needs almost automatically get sent to OTPT speech. So they're right. plugged in for some of that system already, but the nutrition they're not and the vision they're not. Right. And so, um, you want to address how to find a, a good eye doctor that's going to do a functional vision evaluation and or vision therapy if necessary. Right. So the College of Optometrists and Vision Development, COVD, like COVID without the eye. <laughs> I know I freaked out when COVID came along. I know. Right. <laughs> so you can go to the college, covd.org, and you can 
there's a big section called find a doctor and you can find somebody within 50 miles of your area um, many of them whom are fellows, so they're FCOVD, and they've gone the extra mile and, and studied more and taken um, hard tests, verbal and written tests, so that they're the most highly trained. And there are others on that website who are interested in and somewhat trained, and any of those people will help you um, evaluate a child's vision and determine whether vision is implicated in your child's learning behavior or sensory issues. But you have to remember, as Lynn knows well, your vision is your most nutritionally demanding sense. The eye is one of the first places where we see nutritional deficits. So if nutrition is off, your vision is going to be off. And if a child is on medication, many medications have visual side effects. So they're going to affect <clears throat> a vision exam also. And so we have to go deeper than just vision because some of the vision um, effects are artifact of something else. Yes, and actually I, I did a podcast with Dr. Carrie Gelb he has a movie, Open Your Eyes. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but he talks about the hundreds, you. hundreds of um, medical diseases that have shown signs in vision and, and that the eyes um, are really the window, not only to the soul, but to your general health. We find yep. diabetes and sugar and, and hypertension and just lots of other kinds of things. They're looking uh, maybe... Uh, signs of early autism and Alzheimer's disease with some of yep. our technology now. So, so the visions more beyond goes far beyond just seeing 2020. And I wanted to tell one quick story. I had a little, little guy who has identified autism as having autism and he had all the classic signs and avoid looking at things and flapping his uh, hands and nobody thought to ever evaluate him visually and he was wow. significantly farsighted, like a plus 10, which is oh a high, goodness. high prescription. And we put on the glasses on this kiddo and he didn't talk, but he put his head up and looked around and smiled. And Amazing. I'll ne never forget that. And he would oh, stop, wow. you know, in his horseback riding class and, and ask, you know, to get off his horse because he'd go over and touch the tree that he never saw before and things like oh that. Oh, my goodness. So he still yeah. was on the spectrum, but that's why the importance <laughs> of this load theory of looking at everything and then finding yep. out what needs yep. to be done. Uh, Patty, we're, we're getting close to uh, wrapping it up here. Can you just give a few tips for parents? I mean, besides all of the therapy treatments, you have some great ideas <laughs> and, and educational uh, tips as well. So I think I'd go back to the lifestyle issues and look at how you might be contributing and your lifestyle choices um, in some of these ways. One of the things that I haven't mentioned is um, the electromagnetic fields um, with the entrance of 5G to our lives. Um, we have cell towers everywhere and uh, as the more appliances we have with from Alexa to smart TVs 
to um, any of the computers that these kids are on all day. These electromagnetic fields from these appliances are affecting our nervous system. They're agitating our nervous system and we have to control these. And many of our kids with autism have seizures and we think that we're seeing more and more seizures in these kids, especially in young adults. And we're thinking that this might be related to the number of 5G towers that are being put up and the smart meters that are being put on our homes. So I want your listeners to be cognizant of protecting your family. And that's a whole other lecture on how you can protect them. But the main place to protect you is in your bedroom. Get these things out of your bedroom. And if your kids are having sleeping problems, then you want to think about some more protective um, mechanisms like a canopy for the bed or special paint on the walls or a cover for your smart meter. So these are things to, to think about. As far as school goes, we want the parents to work collaboratively with your school, learn the laws, learn what the school is required to do. Lynn mentioned that kids are getting OTPT speech. The reason they're getting those is because we wrote those into the law. They are, the schools are mandated. They are required to give you those services. And they're required to give those services up to the 22nd birthday. So they should not graduate a child that is who is 18 just because he's 18. Those kids get four extra years at the school system's expense. And I know of a case now, a precedent-setting case in New Jersey, where the parent said they did not provide her son services, appropriate services, and they graduated him, and she has retroactive services now till his 22nd birthday at the school system's expense because she fought them on that. So know your law, put everything in writing, no phone calls, keep a paper trail, go to due process hearings, demand what they have to offer you, make them give it to you. And don't depend on that because they're not going to go to the grocery store with you. It's up to you who are responsible for the fuel that you put in that child's tank before he goes to school. <clears throat> well, those are great tips. And, um, you know, one last question that I have for you, you've seen remarkable life-changing um, events yep. for these kids. Some yep. totally recover, some partially, some improve their function. Do you have one story that just touches your heart? Of, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, absolutely, I absolutely do. Go ahead. There's, there's a family I know, and the mother's name is Judy Chinitz, C-H-I-N-I-T-Z. You can hear her on my Autism Detectives podcast on Spotify or Anchor. Judy's, I met Judy when her son, Alex, was about three or four. And she has done every single therapy from diet and nutrition and lifestyle change through using um, a special kind of worms in the microbiome to change his, his function. And she has, has written a book and she's a remarkable, remarkable mother. 
her son Alex had been in school and he had been what we call dumbed down for his entire school career where they thought he was barely functional because he was nonverbal. And he has not, he never showed signs of any um, ability to learn. But she had the feeling that somebody was home in his brain and that she saw glimmers and thought that he was brilliant, but she couldn't prove it because he didn't talk. He didn't communicate. And she took him to a special speech therapist who was developing a program called Spell to Communicate. And it's shortened out S, the number two, C. So if you have a nonverbal person with autism, I want you to look up S, um, S2C um, and you can Google it and you will see a remarkable story of what happened to Alex. And now we're moving into thousands of nonverbal young adults who have been dumbed down their whole lives. And what we found, what Judy found about Alex was that he was sneaking into his brother's room, his older brother, and he was reading his calculus books. Mm -hmm. He was learning French. He was learning history and geography. And by using the spell to communicate letter boards, the three letter boards, he was able to spell out word by tedious word what he knew. And they discovered that Alex could speak French. He understand French, read French, <clears throat> that he knew American history and geography, that he could actually do geometry and calculus. And two years later, Alex has now passed the GED and is on his way to college. And he's doing this through this spell to communicate system. This is the one next to the microbiome or up there with the microbiome, one of the two most exciting things that's happened now in the world of autism. It's, it's just unbelievable. Well, Patty, you are unbelievable in your tenacious <laughs> attitude, you. your passion. We won't tell anybody how old we are how long okay. we've been doing this work <laughs> and your passion ignites my passion to continue. Oh, thank you. Cause we have, we're it's, at the tip I of the just iceberg. am honored to know you, Lynn. I, you know, I remember when you were one of the very first females in the world of optometry and the hard path you had to forge to get credibility, to get respect. And I think women are going to take over optometry if they haven't already. It's just, <laughs> been a remarkable change that that you pioneered well thank you and i encourage our listeners to check you out at your website get your book listen to your podcast all of those uh, links will be available on our show notes thank uh, you so thank you so much um thanks to all of you for listening and please use patty's information as a resource for your kiddos where they're on the spectrum add just not functioning even though you know they're bright and maybe you don't even know that, but often, uh, you know, like the story you said, a mother has this gut feeling that there's yep. more to her kiddo. So I thank you all. Uh, remember that your vision does not define you. You define your vision. Goodbye for I now. And that. we'll see you next time. 
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.